Good morning. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be reading from Luke 13, 1 through 21. So if you'd like to read along, or the screens up there also has it. Luke 13. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom in the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of the vineyard, Look, for three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that, you can cut it down. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity, 18 years, and was bent over and could no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and he said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six on which men ought to work. Therefore, one come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord Lord then answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for the glorious things that were done by him. Then he said, What is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and put in his garden, and it grew and became a large tree and the birds of the air nested in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till it was all leavened. Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to come to your house and worship. And I thank you for your anointing on Jackie as he brings his word to us to teach us. Teach us about you and about your word. Holy Spirit, I ask you to instill those words in our lives so that we might take it out and put them into action as we go, we go out into the world, leave this your house of worship, and uh, be a light to those that only see darkness. 
In your precious name, Jesus. Amen. So this morning, as we come and take a look at the text before us, there's a begins with an interesting story. And it, I think it kind of highlights how sometimes we ask the wrong questions. Or we focus in the wrong area. And uh, I, it's, it's amazing how often that's the case in my own life. For example, have you ever been frustrated or angry with somebody because you thought something? Only to find out what you thought was not true? Or a misunderstanding or something that, that uh, you somehow got a hold of in the wrong way? How many times do those things happen to us in our life? How many times do we look at the circumstances of our life and the things that have happened to us in our life and we, we shake a fist at God because we don't have the whole story or we don't know what God's doing or what's happening? And I think as we look at the text this morning, this kind of highlights it. As Jesus begins in, in this first... Uh, several verses to talk to us about repentance because really ultimately what God's looking for from you and I is repentance and our world has two ways of looking at repentance one repentance is weak you don't want to appear weak so you might say something like I never repent and for another Shakespeare for one he wrote that his strength failed him and so he didn't have enough strength to to repent, and the idea being that, that repentance took more strength than, than he was able to muster. So you have one view that says repentance takes a lot of strength, and you have another view that says repentance is weakness. And both of them are wrong. So that usually means we have some issues with the concept. <laughs> We're missing some things. So Jesus is going to tell us a couple of stories to begin, just to get our eyes focused on this idea of repentance. You remember last week, what was he talking about last week? Being ready when the master came back. You remember? Be ready when the master, don't be asleep. Be ready. And the very next thing he goes into is repentance. Now, why do you think that is? You, do you think it, one doesn't have anything to do with the other? In fact, Jesus is going to say, if we look at these verses together in verse 1, there were some present at that very time who told him about Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So, this we don't know which event this was. You know how I said that, right? We don't know which event this was, because this was not uncommon for Pilate. If, if the Jews were, were creating havoc, he would just slaughter them. So in this particular instance, you got Galileans going out to offer sacrifices. <clears throat> Something happened. Pilate was upset. So he kills them. He has his soldiers wipe them out. And he answered and said to them, Do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than the others? Why did they die? Well, let's, let's make it something that maybe we've thought about. Why do bad things happen to people? Surely bad things only happen to bad people. I mean, if you've done something wrong, bad karma, right? Uh, you made God mad earlier on in your life, now he's going to get even with you? So that's the question, right? He's saying, he's laying it out for him. He says, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners? 
Pilate wiped them out. Do you think there was something wrong in their life? Have you ever read the book of Job? You get to the end of the book of Job, you ought to still have the same question you had at the beginning. But the challenge of the book of Job is that we ask the wrong question. What do you ask the whole time you're reading the book of Job? Why? 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 What is the right question? God says at the end, He invites Job to trust Him. Trust me. How do I trust you, God? Look at all these things aren't quite working out. Like, you know, my kids all died. What's up with that? Where were you when that happened? God, what, what, I lost all my stuff. My house collapses, everything. You took everything away from me, except for a wife who's mad at me. You left her. <laughs> That's the questions we ask. Why, why, why? And at the end of the book of Job, all God is saying to him is, Hey, trust me. When we read the Bible, here's the the. the keystone of the word of God and that is that God's looking for faithful love from his people which means faithfulness or will you trust me do you believe that God's good here's the other side the flip side of that coin guys is we struggle with the idea that we see more than God does because we look at a circumstance like Galileans being slaughtered by Pilate soldiers while they're trying to worship God and we say How can a good God let that happen? And my response, I just have one response. How good are you at telling something's good? You're never wrong? You ever thought something was going to be really good, turned out not to be so good? Yeah. We can't see it. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, we're not able to see... Or have the same perspective that God has. So God doesn't justify himself to us. What does he say? Trust me. Because you're either will or you won't. He says, trust me. Jesus tells a story about a rich man and Lazarus. We'll get there in a couple of weeks. And when he tells that story, at the end of the story, you guys remember uh, rich man and, and Lazarus, poor man. Poor man has to beg for scraps. Lazarus says everything he wants. Both of them die. Lazarus goes to a place called Abraham's bosom. Not the same Lazarus that Jesus raised from a dead. Different one. He goes to Abraham's bosom, has comfort. The rich man, he goes to Hades, the grave. The holding point awaiting judgment and ultimately hell. And as he's in that place, uh, there's a chasm divided them. They begin to have a conversation back and forth. Right? The rich man says, Hey, Abraham, send Lazarus over here. I'm, I'm miserable. Have him bring some cool water to cool my tongue. And Abraham says, We can't come to you and you can't come to us. So we're, we're separated. We're in our spots where God's put us. We can't go across from here. So he says, Well, do this then. Send Lazarus back to my brothers. And tell them about this place. Tell them the truth about judgment. And, and, and that they need to be living lives in, in submission to the Lord. To trust God with their life. Go tell my brothers so they don't end up here. You remember what Abraham says? They have the law and the prophets. If they won't believe the word of God. They won't believe even if someone raises from a dead. You ever read the Gospel of John? The other Lazarus? Dead in the ground four days? Everybody with me? 
Jesus shows up, stands outside the tomb, says, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus comes out, and of course, everybody believed, right? You know what that same chapter says? So they sought to kill Jesus and Lazarus. Because the problem is not whether or not God is good. Here's the truth. The problem is, we're broke. The problem is, our sinfulness. The problem is looking at a story like the Galileans and thinking that that shouldn't happen to me because I'm somehow better. Or I'm a good person. I've done more good deeds than bad deeds. Really? You've been punished for every lie you ever told? Every friend you ever betrayed? Every wrong you ever did? Or has God in his long suffering been gracious toward us? When bad things happen, we ask the wrong questions. So Jesus in this, he says, he, he, does, he just, <laughs> I love how he does it. He just says, no. Are you better than them? No. Are they better than you? No. What does he say to do? He says right there at the end of verse 3, I tell you, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Remember last week, we talked about be ready, being ready for the master. Are you ready for Jesus Christ. If the Lord was to call you home, are you ready? Are you set? And then he immediately goes into a story about Galileans who died and people were asking questions about why did that happen? Are they bad people? Is that why it happened to them? And Jesus says, no. But let me tell you this. If you don't repent, you will likewise perish. Are you repenting? Because you, there's no guarantee. Has anybody got a guarantee what happens when we leave this place today? Or we have a guarantee we're going to make it through today? Yeah, you know, Paul preached one time and somebody died in the service. Yeah, you remember how he died? He fell asleep. I'm watching. <laughs> he fell asleep, went out the window and died. Ah, that just seems like a bad deal. There's no guarantee, right? So what is it that Jesus says? He says, so live your life and, and, and be really afraid. What does he say? So repent. What are you waiting for? Why do we struggle with the concept of repentance? Should we only repent when bad things happen? In Romans 2.4 it says this, Do you presume on the riches of the kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. God's, God's forbearance, God's mercy, God's grace, God's lack of bringing judgment instantly when we mess up. What's that all for? So we can repent. So that we as men and women, believers, trusters in Jesus Christ can live lives marked by the concept of repentance. There's no such thing as, I repented once and so I'm done. If you can repent once and be done if you don't ever sin again. There's a, we got a group for you, if you think that that's you, just so you know. But the reality is, our lives are marked by constant, constant repentance. Why? More than my sin, more than my lies, more than the deeds that I do and the things I don't do, whatever things in my life, the biggest thing I need to repent from is taking control away from the hands of God 
and, and putting myself on his throne and saying, this is how I would do it. Or leaving him out of my plans or pushing him away or, or say, stay over there until something goes wrong. Right now everything's right. Those are all attitudes that require repentance. Repentance just means a change of direction, right? A change of my attitude. My life needs to flip. Mark 6.12, did Jesus want us to repent? Is that something he calls us to? Mark 6.12, so they went out and proclaimed, this is the disciples going two by two, that people should, what's it say? Repent. Not just once. Everybody that was flocking around Jesus, or a lot of them that were flocking around Jesus, also heard a guy named John the Baptist. You guys remember John the Baptist? You remember what he was telling the people to do? Repent! Get yourself ready! The Master's coming. Isn't that what he was saying? Repent! Get yourself ready! The Master's coming. Get your hearts right. You're walking in sin and you're thinking it's okay. And he's saying, stop that! Let your lives be marked with repentance. Constant (coughs) repentance. The first message preached on the birthday of the church in Acts chapter 2 verse 37. When all the people heard the message, it says, They were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, What do we do? What should we do? It finally dawned on them. Oh, I am a mess. It just blows me away when when people actually get that. I'm a mess. No, Jackie, you're a mess. I know, I can tell. But I don't know if I'm a mess. Man, I don't know, guys. Maybe you guys are better. But I am a mess. Any given day, I can have bad thoughts about uh, anger or frustration. And Jesus said, if you do that toward a brother, you might as well have killed him. So that makes me... You know, at least in his eyes, guilty of having a heart full of murder. I got to repent. I can't just keep going on and say, well, it's okay. You know, everybody does it, so who cares? That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches me repent, repent, repent. Shane, how many times did Jesus say he would forgive you? Remember when Peter comes to him and says, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times. What did Jesus say? Seventy times seven. Why? Well, it's, it's an illustration of how many years God forgave the nation of Israel. He forgave the nation of Israel for 490 years before he required judgment and exile for what they had done. So if you're asking me how many times should I forgive my neighbor, the answer is you should forgive him for 490 years. If you get outside of 490 years, you feel free to hold a grudge. (laughs) I think we'll be safe, huh? You think we'll be okay? So the idea is, yeah, we want to be, have hearts desiring forgiveness and seeking repentance. Look at the second story, verse 4. Or what about the 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and it killed them? Do you think they were worse offenders? than the others who lived in Jerusalem. And again, he says, no, they're not. When tragedy strikes, it's not some judgment from God. It's not the idea that God's finally fed up and those people are worse than me, so he got them. 
When a tsunami goes over Indonesia and over 100,000 people die. Do you think those people are worse than us? The Lord says, no, they're not worse than you. So what does he say? I say to you, Jesus says, repent. So you're ready when the master calls. As believers in Jesus Christ, we believe that it's possible for us to see the Lord in a lot of ways, right? God can call us home. There, there's something that, uh, that many of us believe called the rapture of the church, where Jesus will call the church home. Are you ready for that day? But there's also the subject that you could just be walking around outside and the tower fall on your head. You could just be going out for a, a ride on a motorcycle in the cool of the evening. And somebody pulls out and hits you. There are no guarantees for the next breath we take. So in light of that, what does God say? So repent. Get rid of that hardness in your heart. The bitterness toward your brother or sister. Get rid of the anger that you have. Chances are the anger you have is, is unfounded anyway. Get rid of those things. Let those things go. Repent. He starts off right out the gate. Repent. And then he moves toward, in verse 6, he moves from repentance to the fruit of repentance. It's all tied together. Okay, you guys following the thought? Be ready when the master comes. How can I be ready? Be awake. How can I be awake? Repent. Live lives of repentance. Eyes focused on the Lord and not focused on other things. I repent of that and I put my eyes back on Him. I'm ready. But then there's fruit that follows repentance, right? If I say I've changed my direction, if I look at you guys, I go out here and we, we start to pull out of the church and I'm going this way out of the parking lot in the church and, I'm, and about halfway there I stop and I say, I repent! And I keep going that way. Did I repent? What does the word mean? Change my direction. Turn around. So if I stop in the middle and say, I repent, and I keep going, did I repent? No, that's words. You got the easy part over with. The reality of repentance is a change of direction, right? Transformation. Look at the parable that Jesus tells. Every time Jesus tells a parable, the word parabolos means to cast alongside. So here I've, I've given you two examples of these <clears throat> things, bad things happen to people. And God's saying, be ready, repent. Be ready, repent. And then he casts a story, an illustration, a parable beside it. So you can understand what it is he's trying to drive home. So he says in verse 6, he told him a parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came looking for fruit and found none. So he said to the vine dresser, man, look, for three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? So here the owner of the fruit tree is saying, this fruit tree has not brought fruit. Let's get rid of it. Wipe it out. I don't want to see that fruit tree no more because there's no fruit on it. Now I don't know who you think is what in the story, but you haven't met Jesus yet, just in case you were wondering. Matthew 7, verse 15, the scripture says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, because inwardly they are ravenous wolves. 
You will recognize them how? By their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. So you're going to be known by your fruit, right? Good or bad? Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown in the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Then Jesus immediately says, Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Keep in mind, what are we talking about? Repentance. We're talking about having an attitude of repentance. And that that repentance is real. That there literally is a change of direction. A change of mind. A a change within. And that change will be evidenced by fruit. Jesus is telling the story about a fig tree that doesn't have any fruit. But listen. Don't miss this part. Because the one... The one that I think is Jesus, the one that I think is is him, is the one who's working the tree. Look what it says in verse 8. He answered him and said, Sir, let it alone this year until I dig around it and I put on manure. Then if it doesn't bear fruit next year, you can cut it down. Don't you know that that's the heart of God? The second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises, as some count slowness, but He's patient toward you, desiring that no one would perish, and that all would come to... Crazy. How many times is that word going to come up? The Bible says God's not in a hurry. He's not in a rush. To bring that judgment from heaven. Throw that lightning bolt. Get you for that thought you had just now. God's not in a hurry for that. What's the Bible says? It says he's long-suffering. He's patient. He's waiting, giving you time to do what? Repent. Why? Because he has no glory in the destruction of the wicked. He has glory when the wicked repent and live. So this is how God is moving and working. And we look at the circumstances around us and we don't consider any of that. Because we're experts in good and bad. We're experts in what's evil and what's good. Because after all, I am my own God and I sit on the throne. And God's word says, repent. You're not God. You don't want the job, no matter how much you think you might. I guarantee you don't want the job. How do I know you don't want the job? Because later on today, after you eat, you're going to go home, and you're going to sit in a lazy boy and lean back, and you're going to start to doze a little, and the phone's going to ring. And you're going to be irritated. Oh, really? Who's calling me now? Well, if you were God, that'd be happening like every microsecond of every day forever. (laughs) Yeah. You don't want that job. I know you don't want it. Because you get annoyed when people bug you. How about this? You ever get annoyed when people question your motives? What are you, you 
Can you believe they're questioning my motives? Yeah, you don't want that job. Because people are questioning God's motives all the time. So what does God say to us? Trust me. Trust me. Maybe you don't have it all figured out. Trust me, God says. So, he says, then this is what I want. This is what I want. I want you to know that God is waiting, giving men opportunity to repent. So the point of the story, bear fruit worthy of repentance. Bear fruit worthy of, have real repentance. Meaning, turn around, change that direction, change that attitude, change that way of thinking. Don't just make excuses for it. I spend way too many years making excuses for it. Stop. God wants you to repent of it. To lay it down. To be free. He wants you to be free. Oh, you're kidding, Jackie. No, because the story goes on. You read the next verse? Does God want you to be free? I don't know. Let's see. So verse 10, it says, So he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and he said to her, Woman, you are, what's the word? Free. Does God want you free of your disability? Now here's the, here's the rub. You think your disability is that achy knee. You think your disability is a bad back. You think your disability is you can't walk, or you're sick, or you have cancer. You think that's your disability. God thinks your disability is sin. Who's right? Because this story is all about setting people free. No? Isn't that what he's going to do here? He says to the woman, you are freed from your disability. He uses those words, you are free. <clears throat> and he put his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. Now, please hear me. I know a lot of people struggle with some of my ideas on healing. Track with me. The need for healing in Jesus' ministry was to illustrate the things that separate men from God. If you read the Old Testament, you will understand that if someone had a disability, they were not allowed in the temple area for worship. They could not draw near to God. Why? Because they're broken. You say, oh, that's so unfair. Well, listen. It's an illustration. What is it illustrating? The reality that we're all broken. Can we all see each other's disability? I, I, there are brothers here who are suffering in more pain than I can imagine. And I promise you don't even know. Because you can't tell by looking at them. You don't know. But God does. And so for some of us, our disabilities we understand. For others of us, we don't think we have any. And we continue going through life without repentance. We continue going through life as though, I'm good, I'm good, I got it all. It's all squared away. So when the people are sitting there on the Sabbath day and they see this woman all bent over, could they tell something's wrong with her? What about the leper? Could they tell something was wrong with the leper? What about the blind? 
<clears throat> could they tell there was something wrong with the blind? What about the deaf, the dumb, the, the ones demon-possessed? Could they tell something was wrong with those people? And every one of the righteous, so-called righteous people who are not broken, would think to themselves, I can't touch that guy. Why? Because his brokenness is going to infect me. Oh. See, here's the rub. It's not what's outside of a man that infects him. It's what's inside him already. It's already there. So when Jesus goes over, and he does this every time he heals, when Jesus goes, especially the ones at the Sabbath time, he goes over and he touches her, what happens to the righteous ones? They get mad, right? What? You're going to heal someone in church? I can't believe you would do such a thing. Isn't that what they're going to do? There are six other days in a week where we don't have church service. You heal somebody, you're going to heal them on one of those six days. Now listen, we can, only, we can, we can get blind eyes and only see, well, that's those scribes and Pharisees and those people like that. Or that's those people like the, the, the tower fell on. Or that, that's like those people that, that, that Pilate killed. Or we can say, yeah, that's how I am. That's how I am. I get jealous, I get angry, I get frustrated. I, I have some of those same thoughts, some of those same things running through my mind. So Jesus, he reaches out and touches the broken. And what happens? They get unbroke. What is he illustrating for all the world to know? If you're broken, come unto me. All you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon yourself. Learn from me. This is what Jesus is calling the world to. The whole world needs healed and set free from their sin. Does that mean God doesn't heal? No, God heal anytime God wants to heal. I believe in healing. You're kidding me, right? You're talking to me. I'm pretty sure you don't know anybody who's had HIV and then doesn't anymore. So, I believe in healing more than most people. But I'll tell you that that's not the point of the healing. The point of Jesus healing this woman is to get the reaction from those people so he can say, you guys are broken too and you should be coming to me just like her, but you don't know your need. You think you're okay. And Jesus says, I tell you, repent. You need me. That's what Jesus wants us to get from this. Look what he says to this woman as, they, as, there, as, as, as he heals her. Look at the guy, the ruler of the synagogue in verse 14. He's indignant because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. So he said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on one of those days, not on the Sabbath day. So verse 15, and Jesus answered him and said, You hypocrites! You hypocrites! Does not each one of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it to water? What's he saying? How can you guys, you so-called religious people, have more compassion for your animal at home than you can have for this woman here? Or the question that we maybe should ask ourselves. How can I have more compassion 
for my animals than I have for broken people. And who's broke? Man, we're full of broke people here. We all got stuff. Don't we got stuff? We all have struggles. Maybe your struggle is self-righteousness. Maybe your struggle is gossip. Maybe your struggle is hatred of the person on the other side of the church. So you don't sit over there anymore because they sit over there. I don't know. We all got stuff. We all got our own failures and the things that we know. I, I know what's in my heart. I know what happens in my head. And trust me, if you had some kind of rig, you come up and stick a wire in my ear and say, Jackie, the thoughts of the last 24 hours, we're going to put up on a screen. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're not. <laughs> no, come on, you're a preacher. Your thoughts are pure. No way, dude. Uh, you fire me right now. You ain't putting that up on the screen. I just assume most people just wonder than everybody know. No? What does all that say? That I have a disability, a spirit of disability. That I'm broke. And I need Jesus' touch. And so he says, repent. This is his message the full three years of ministry. He's on his way to Jerusalem, headed toward the cross. We're chapter 13. You're six chapters from crucifixion. He's on his way. And as he's teaching and as he's preaching and as he's showing parables, what's he saying over and over and over again? Repent, repent, repent. Get that out of our heads. Learn to have compassion for one another. Not excusing one another. Compassion for one another. Meaning, I have enough compassion to tell you, to share with you, to to love you enough to say, the road you're on is going to end. And you're going off a cliff. You need to change your direction. Repent. This is the message that God's Word is laying out for us. So... He puts them to shame, saying, you guys have more compassion on your animals. And as he said these things, all of his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at the glorious things that had been done with him. So the self-righteous were mad, and the regular people rejoiced. So, I finally figured out how to tell who's self-righteous and who's regular. When we talk about brokenness, the ones who are mad, that's self-righteousness. The ones who rejoice, that's the regular people. The Bible says the regular people, the poor, heard him gladly. They rejoiced at the teachings that Jesus brought. So he goes on and says, and again he said, so what? To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God that's coming. Jesus the King, right? Jesus the King, the kingdom of God, which is and is yet to come. He says, what what am I going to compare it to? He's going to give us two comparisons. One, it's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. Ultimately, this parable is picturing the growth of the kingdom. The growth of the king is going to grow. 
But both of these parables have a, a word of, of growth and development, and then a word of be careful. Because birds are going to nest in his branches. Birds throughout the parables are always symbolic of evil little creatures. Remember the sower? Remember when Jason did the sower and threw seed on everybody? What's one of the stories? The seed goes out and birds do what? They snatch it up. So that's bad, right? If the seed's the word of God and the birds are snatching it away before anybody can get it, bird's bad. So it says, the kingdom of God's going to grow from a little beginning, 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ. Today, it's a lot bigger, right? More than 12 disciples? Okay, so there's been huge growth, but there's birds in the branches. It means they're still evil. Which means the people there need to repent. Do you really think that's not the theme? The people need to repent. There's not a day where we arrive. This will be shocking for you guys. Do bad things happen at Calvary Chapel Buell? People do dumb stuff here. Have I done dumb stuff here? Yeah. Uh, okay. It's true. <laughs> Everybody who's laughing has been offended by me at least one time. <laughs> and in my brokenness, I'm sorry. I certainly is not my goal to do that. So I need to repent. We need to repent. There'll be growth. But that doesn't mean repentance has gone out the window. Still birds in the branches. What about the next one? A woman took three measures of flour and she adds leaven. Whoa! You're not supposed to do that. When you bring the grain offering, which is three measures of of flour, never bring it with with leaven. Because leaven is a picture of... So, that's bad, right? But when we leaven it, when the lump has the leaven mixed into it, what, what happens to it? It grows, huh? When does it stop growing? Man, it'll keep going, right? It'll keep going. The same thing. What's he saying? There's this growth that occurs, but in it, there's still the need for repentance. What's the kingdom of heaven like? kingdom of heaven is like a lot of broke people gathered together in a place and while they're gathered together there will be growth but there will also be the need of repentance there will be a continual need of repentance until when until the king comes and when we see the king the bible says when you see jesus you will be like him anybody look forward to that day Yeah, oh yeah, I'm in. Sign me up right now. Tomorrow will be great. Yeah, sorry, today too. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not sure if that's Freudian or what. I I don't even have plans for today. But anyway, I want to see the king. And when I see the king, this battle is over. But until that time, until this battle is done, God is calling us all the way through this whole section. What is he saying? Repent. Constant repentance. Living lives of repentance. It's not about weakness. It's not about strength. It's about obedience. Let God be God. Stop putting yourself on that throne. Let God sit on the throne. Let God be in charge of your life. Let God do what he does. 
Repeat what Job said. When you look at your life and you think, my life is out of balance, my life is crazy, then say what Job said. Though he slay me, I will praise him. Because he's God and I'm not. He's the king, not me. Let him be king. Pilate's going to ask him that question at the crucifixion, right? Well, are you a king then? And he said, yeah. It is as you say. Yeah. But my kingdom's not of this earth, or my people would fight. My kingdom is other. It's bigger. It's grander. It's more beautiful than we can ever imagine. How do I get there? Repent. Repent. The church told every man they came upon everywhere. God commands all men to repent and believe. Repent and believe. He's the king, not me. Put my faith and trust, my hope in who he is and what he has done. When God calls us to repent, he's trying to teach us something, show us something. Of course, we do bad things, right? We need to repent of lying or cheating or stealing, robbing a bank. But remember, the essence of repentance, the essence of sin, is not about breaking the rules. The essence of sin is substituting myself for God. It goes back to the first two stories. Does God know what he's doing? Every atheist I've ever talked with gives me the same equation. Well, God must not be good because he lets bad things happen. Or God's not all-powerful and he can't stop bad things from happening. That's not that difficult a question. The answer? How do you know something's bad? What's the authority? Who's the authority? You're the authority? You're the authority of morality? Really? Well, that's good news. Because we all need a final authority for morality. So tell me. What's good? What's bad? Are you sure? How do you, how do you justify that? See, when I talk about moral good or moral evil, I lift up my Bible and I say, it's right here. If this says bad, it's bad. This says good, good. Because God's the final authority and His Word is the final arbiter. So, I choose to trust God. Especially for the ones I don't have answers for yet. Because He knows the difference between right and wrong. And if the last 2,000 years of history have taught us anything, we struggle. How about our nation? Do we have right or wrong figured out? What's right or wrong for a Democrat? You say, I don't think they have any. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's true. What's right or wrong for a Republican? I don't think they have any either. Do we got it solved? 
We got a giant division. We got a big crack going down the middle of the United States of America. If that crack don't get fixed, it's going to break. Those who don't learn from history are what? Doomed to repeat it. You think we're the first democracy crumbled? You think we're the first one who struggled? What's the key to our struggling? We forget God's on a throne. And we put ourselves there. And I don't care which side of the aisle you are. If you don't put God on the throne, not with just words. If you don't put God on the throne, he's not king. And we're Nebuchadnezzar shaking our fist at God saying, look at the country that we have built. Man, we made it pretty amazing. We must be really good people. Think God's word would say something different about that? The essence of repentance is putting ourselves in the place of God, sitting upon the throne, saying that we can do a better job than him. And the scripture this morning calls us to repent. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word. We thank you for the reality that we live in a place where we still have the freedom to look at the word of God and to accept the word of God as authoritative. We still have the freedom to say it's wrong because God said so. It's right because God said so. We still have the freedom to bow the knee to whosoever we will. And I, for one, choose to bow my knee before the King of kings and Lord of lords. For you are my King. And I repent, Lord God, when I try to take your place. I repent of the times I don't think you know what you're doing. I repent of the times I harbor bitterness and animosity in my heart toward a brother. I repent of the times that I refuse to do what I know you're telling me to do. God, I pray that we would understand that you are a God calling his people to repentance. For if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. If they will repent, turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear them. Then will my healing come. God, I pray that we would realize and recognize throughout Scripture, you lay this concept out before us that we're twisted. We're bent, we're broken, and we need a touch of the Master's hand. And I pray, Lord God, that we, your people, would come to you just like that leper did. Throw himself on the ground before Jesus' feet and say, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And your word declares, everyone who throws themselves before the king of kings he will lift up humble yourself in the sight of the lord and he will lift you up call upon the name of the lord and you will be saved cry out lord if you are willing and the lord responds i am willing
I have been waiting. I've dug a ditch around the tree, and I'm pruning and preparing it to bear fruit. I'm going to wait a little longer. God, I pray that we, your people, would have that heart. Hear the words of our Savior written for our admonition, for our instruction. Don't be guilty of hearing the word, being convicted and walking away and forgetting what we were convicted about. Let the word change you. Repent. As we worship, Lord God, as we put our eyes upon you, I pray you would drive us to repentance and be glorified in your church, lifting their heart to you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. My Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like you. All of my days, I want to praise the wonders of your mighty love. 